Fresh off of Twitter's decision to add a fact-check link to some of President Donald J. Trump's misleading tweets about mail-in voting, this week Steve and I talk about disinformation. We'll get into disinformation's history, how it works, and how we all play a part in spreading disinformation. In the time of a global pandemic, disinformation is rampant. It's created what the World Health Organization calls an infodemic of misleading and outright false information about the virus and the disease it causes. And, of course, because we started with Trump, we will have to talk about the 2020 U.S. presidential elections and much, much more. Hey, and if you like what we're doing, we'd be grateful if you left us a positive review. Hello, and welcome to another episode of The Elucidators, as always. I am your host, Steve Pally, and with me, as always, is my co-host, Sumi Chatterjee. How are you doing, Sumi? Wow, that's all kinds of hype. What's up, Steve? How are we doing? Uh, I'm doing all right, man. I, you know, I haven't been sleeping that well last couple of weeks. Oh, word? Finally, what's going on? Well, I finally figured out why. I thought maybe it's just generalized COVID anxiety, you know, sure. lots of things going on, stuck in the house, got work, got kids, so on and so forth. No. <laughs> now, okay. I found out what it was. What's that? Allegra D. What's that? So Allegra D is a decongestant. It's allergy medicine. And oh, the word. D stands for decongestant. As yeah. it turns out, I you know, I knew this because you actually have to show your driver's license to get this stuff at the pharmacy, but I totally forgot. It's got speed in it. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah. No wonder I can't sleep. I've been taking 24-hour Allegra D. Hold on. Wait a second. Of all the moments in time, and specifically your history, to do amphetamines, a quarantine with a toddler is like the worst <laughs> possible time. Well, so I'm a, a little bit of a rock and a hard place here because I've been having bad allergies. So yeah. it's like, I got I to gotta just wipe this out. Like, this is the last thing I can deal with. So yeah. Allegra D, 24-hour, boom. Just like, you know, drop a nuke on this thing. Don't even worry about it. Except that I can't sleep. And <laughs> like, I was getting like four or five hours of sleep a night for like two weeks. And I was like, oh, I just, my mind's racing. Like <laughs> so many thoughts <laughs> when I'm trying to like go to bed. And, Wait, so if uh, it doesn't have the speed in it, does it just like, it knocks you out like Benadryl? No, no, I don't think it kind of does anything one way or the other. Oh, so they just put the, they just put the speed in there because for funsies. Yeah, well, no, because it works, man. I am learning so many horrifying things. <laughs> yeah, you want to if you want to learn about more horrifying stuff, keep listening, because we have a a disturbing topic, one that is honestly near and dear to our hearts, our listeners' hearts. We all live through it. It's the times every we're single in, man. day, the times we're in, ever since 2016, and really before then, disinformation, Oof. lies, yep, propaganda. On social media, on the internet, on the airwaves, in day-to-day life, your friends, maybe your family, spreading it around. We're motivated to talk about this because something really big happened right before we started recording. Would you say it was huge? Might even, yeah, might even call it huge. With a Y? Huge. Huge. Yeah. You may or may not know that President Donald Trump is a big tweeter. He's on Twitter a lot. And he's been on Twitter since 2011. So he's, he's been around for a while. He has 80 million followers, which is a large number. Twitter only has 350 million users, something like that. Just to be clear, though, 
He's at 80 M. My man Barack is at 118. Yeah, doing much better. Yeah, that yeah. makes me feel happy too. He has basically spent the last five years lying nonstop on Twitter and off Twitter, but especially on Twitter. Some have said, I'm one of them, that he would not have won the 2016 GOP nomination for president in the United States without kneecapping his opponents on Twitter and calling them ridiculous names, not just on Twitter, also in debates. But he he really used Twitter very effectively to get rid of his primary opponents, especially Jeb Bush, famously called him Blow Energy, which, frankly, I still love. <laughs> it's hilarious. It's just a weird insult. and that it's, it's so good, though. <laughs> and that it's stuck is like... But the other part of it is like... <laughs> He only appears to be low energy because of like he looks like khakis were made for him. Like yes. he's he's actually like a very productive guy and a very oh, yeah, smart yeah. and decent person by almost yeah. all accounts. But he just called him low energy. It's like, oh yeah, he looks like he should be uh, a model for Coles. I think the Washington Post has kept a running tally of Trump's lies on Twitter and elsewhere. As of today, Twitter has started to fact check. Trump's lying on his feed. So Trump started lying about mail-in balloting, saying yeah. that it's fraudulent and so on and so forth. He's already going to work on the 2020 election. And Twitter put a banner under these tweets about mail-in ballots saying, get the facts on mail-in ballots. You click on that link and you go to a page that basically uh, says Trump makes unsubstantiated claims about mail-in ballots and then has a bunch of experts talking about how mail-in ballots are in fact politically neutral and a good idea for both parties, right? And democracy in general. This is very new and a huge deal, wouldn't you say? Yeah, absolutely. One quick note on mail-in ballots. Just so two quick things on mail-in ballots. One, mm. Some states like Oregon have been like, I think Oregon's all mail-in ballots and has been for more than two decades without right. any any yeah. substantial voter fraud cases. And yep. number two, and this one should be underlined and bolded, the current president voted by mail. It's just like one of those things like, come on, man. And then Thanks for got, reminding me. <laughs> when he got called out, he was like, it's different. It was certified. It's like, do you have access to special mail? I don't think you you would spring for special mail on your ballot. I think you just vote by mail like everybody else. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, so, no, this so is a big deal. It's a big deal because this is a platform that has upheld its neutrality in all things political. Most platforms have. And, you know, this is, again, one of Trump's two legs when it comes to media manipulation and controlling his followers. The other is, in fact, the mainstream media. That's he uses right. Twitter to control his followers directly. Yeah. And he uses the mainstream media to control them indirectly. Right. And I, I count Fox News as mainstream media, by the way. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and uh, so this is a big deal. And it's not to say that one of his two legs has been chopped off, but one of them, like the toes are starting to look a little gangrenous about yeah. six months before the election. And this is very bad for the president. Yeah, it's a really weird thing, though, that like just to clarifying what Twitter is doing a little bit like they marked they they gave the link that you described on his his lies i mean they were lies about mail in voting yes but they're not touching like political conspiracies but hey it's a start yeah 
This is a start, and it's a yeah. big deal. Anyway, this week, we are in the stinky, ever-irritating, and increasingly dangerous land of bullpucky yeah. during the COVID-19 pandemic, and we're going to blend into the 2020 election because we're now in election season as well. It will be the COVID election, I suppose. Now, disinformation covers a range of different phenomenon. Uh, we're going to talk about psychological operations by yeah. foreign governments, including mm-hmm. interference in the 2016 election, which was the subject of the Mueller report. It's documented very carefully. So-called active measures that are taken by the Russians and the Chinese, formerly the Soviets and the United States Central Intelligence Agency. Also, populist politicians like our own Donald Trump, like Bolsonaro down in Brazil, like Boris Johnson over in the UK, like Viktor Orban in Hungary. There are many, many of these guys that are spreading lies and disinformation all over the internet. And frankly, there's just normal people who are scared and don't know what's going on. So they're susceptible to disinformation. They forward it on and it becomes misinformation. We'll get into that first. Sumi, how about you give us a brief history of modern disinformation? Because lying is as old as humanity itself. That's not really what we're talking about here, right? No, we're we're not. Because you're right. You can attach like political lying for political strategic purposes to the entire history of politics. And Mm. that's way more than than the scope of what we're gonna touch. So let's talk about modern versions of this. So there's two real big jumping off points for the modern practice of disinformation and misinformation. Now, disinformation has to do with taking pieces of the truth, maybe even the whole truth, and intentionally in creating stories that will deceive the public. Now, the public can be your own domestic public, or it can be a foreign public. Mm -hmm. Misinformation is the unknowing propagation, the spreading of disinformation. So disinformation has intention to deceive behind it. Misinformation is like you're misled by the information. And you're amplifying lies, basically. That's right. Yeah, you yeah. you are an amplifier of a, of a lie. And the lies don't all have to be, like, malicious and mean and terrible. So there was that story that once, you know, once the quarantine set in in Italy, a lot of traffic stopped, industrial traffic stopped. And so there was a story about dolphins returning to, like, crystal blue waters in the Venice canals. This turned out to be uh, a not true story, but it was passed around and there's very little like real political consequences to these things. That's right. But the two big jumping off points for this whole mess of what we're talking about starts with uh, a Leninist approach. Like during the Russian Revolution, uh, about a century ago, there was an approach to misinformation and disinformation, which was to sow chaos amongst the rival factions within the Russian Civil War. And this had then moved into the mainstream of Soviet politics, both in domestic Soviet politics and, most notably, as Steve alluded to, to the Cold War politics between the between the soviets and the u.s yes now, if and we're thinking yeah god my my background on zoom if you're watching this on youtube you'll see this really ugly building behind me and this is an important soviet block building from from east germany in fact during the cold war this is the headquarters of the stasi which was the east german secret police and they were experts at doing what were called active measures right basically using propaganda and 
in fact, pieces of the truth, and in some cases, the whole truth, released in certain ways, with and without context, to produce damaging political effects. It's also important to note that current Russian president and dictator Vladimir Putin was trained by the KGB to be an expert. That's right. In, in, these, in these methods, and he spent a lot of time in Germany, too. Please continue. That building is disgusting. Uh, it's a brutalist building. <laughs> Real ugly. Gross. Anyway, but, like, this is, like, this is it. Like, we're talking about, you know, a, a century of, of normalization of these kinds of tactics that have coincided with the other big, big change, which was the creation and expansion of mass media. Radio, mm-hmm. television, and to bring it to the present, and I think, as Steve said, the painful present, which is, you know, social media and the internet. In, yeah. in the salad days of the Cold War, in order to disinform the public and hope that they would then misinform each other, you needed the mass media, which was controlled by journalists, right? Now, sometimes this meant creating your own journalistic outlet. Governments would create their own journalistic outlets. Pravda, right? Yeah. Soviets. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the U.S. had plenty of these. Yeah, absolutely. But now this is not the case. You can cut out the middleman of journalists and you can just come up with really sloppy internet memes, GIFs, stuff that gets put into the mainstream of uh, of a political culture and see where it goes. And it costs very little. You don't yeah. have to cultivate journalists. You don't have to try and work them or get compromising photos of them so you can manipulate them. You just put it out there. And because of the ability to find people and get their data online, you can target the susceptible folks you're looking for. And the yeah. reason that we talk about this is like, okay, you know, there's an inclination. I know I'm certainly guilty of it being like, yeah, but that's for dopes. And I'm not a dope. But, <laughs> you know, I, I'm certain that, in fact, I have been exposed to and unwittingly. I'm sure that dolphin thing I talked about, which was adorable, I'm sure I passed that along because dolphins are adorable and I like to brighten people's days. But the other part of this that's really, really hard right now and why we're talking about and why we lead off talking about Twitter telling the president of the U.S. like, hey, man, maybe take it easy with the lies is because (laughs) he is a known misinformer. Yeah, disinformer and misinformer. Right. He does both. Yeah. And so, yeah, that's a great sort of introduction to all of this stuff. Thanks, Sumi. Obviously, the the case, the, the modern case that I think provides, you know, our real jumping off point and the case that we've all lived through and are most familiar with is a 2016 election, the meddling by the sort of Russian-funded IRA, Internet Research Agency. And it's all there in the the Mueller report. It was, as you say, kind of a shoestring operation in that, yeah, they had a lot of people working, but the whole campaign cost, what, a couple tens of millions of dollars, if that, not that much. And depending on which expert you believe. There are experts that come down on either side of this. And we will probably never know the answer to this question as to whether or not uh, the IRA's disinformation campaigning actually helped Trump win in 2016. I can say that having used Facebook advertising professionally in in my day job to get people to buy mobile games, its algorithms and micro targeting capabilities can be incredibly powerful when it comes to motivating people to 
download games, for instance. I don't know if it's as powerful in getting people to vote or not vote, which was apparently uh, what happened in 2016 in certain strategically important counties like Milwaukee, for instance, in Wisconsin. But that's kind of the argument. And that was the intent of the IRA. There's no question about that. Yeah, that's right. And it's just like to to add a little bit of uh, detail to the framework that you just put out there. It's like, okay, the Russians spent like $100,000, like it cost several millions of dollars to build up the whole operation, but $100,000 on Facebook ads. Right. Okay. And by some measures, like uh, Kathleen Hall Jameson, uh, who's an excellent scholar at the University of Pennsylvania, she me- she says it's like something like 140 million impressions right. uh, of these ads. And you say impressions, boy, that's that's impressive. But let's define impressions. Is that like yeah. right? We've all scrolled down our social media feed and like seen something for half a second or not even paid attention, right? That's right. That can be an impression. Yeah. Right? It doesn't mean anything at all. Even a click doesn't even necessarily mean anything. Yeah. A click is obviously indicative of more intent than an impression, but it's not like somebody then goes on to buy something. You know, <laughs> nobody bought anything. They either voted or didn't vote. And right. following that sort of chain of custody to its conclusion, it's tough. You can do a bunch of statistics to try to tease out the effects, um, but there are equally credible scholars, right? Like Thomas Rid. Thomas Ridd at Johns Hopkins. He's Sice. a professor yeah. at SICE, which is their security studies school. Really good. He just wrote a book called Active Measures. He did an analysis of the IRA's effect on the 2016 election, and he basically said this is completely overblown. It's like yeah. 150 million impressions. Well, first of all, two-thirds of those actually occurred after November 3rd, right? Yeah. So now you're down to 50 million impressions. What's an impression? It's not even meaningful, right? right. <laughs> like, it's not even meaningful in the first place. Like, tell me about clicks. Tell me about newsletter signups. Like, I need more intentionality than that. Yeah, that's right. So, like, you know, in Steve, in your business, like, selling, uh, selling apps, like, you get a sense of like who wants to buy apps. A lot of people have already decided whether or not they're going to vote months, years in advance. Like some people just say like, Hey, part of my identity is I'm a voter and there's not really a lot that can be done. I get why campaigns want to affect the, they want to target folks that might be on the fringe of voting. Like I get it. I get it. But it's Mm -hmm. very, it's just, it's very difficult to measure. But one of the yeah. other things that Thomas Ridd mentions in his book, which is kind of the, the it's to the guts of the awful part that we're talking about, he says that there is disinformation cuts to the core of the liberal epistemic order, which is yeah, pretty good. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's super good. Like, so let's, let's break this down. Like, it's basically saying that in small L liberal societies, like, ours that believe in free speech, that we favor truth over emotion. And there is a belief in an objective reality. And Mm. just taking like a giant whisker, like like an egg beater to the realities of democratic societies, it scrambles the ability to like have a, a, a agreed upon reality that we all exist in. Right. Yeah. The technical way to think about this is that democracy is basically a social technology for aggregating preferences, right? From what I remember of first year graduate school, 
um, political theory. It's this idea that you take all of these people uh, who have different ideas, different different political preferences. They want different things to happen. They want different policies, both socially, economically, and, and foreign, and so on. And you kind of mix all of that up, and through the mechanism of voting, the majority emerges along all of these different axes, and people get at least some of what they want, right? But what if it is the case that instead of a handful of major axes and factions, society is just completely atomized and nobody can coordinate, nobody can agree on anything. And people are no longer, as you say, even responding to the same reality, right? right. Like there's this idea that certain things about reality are incontrovertible, right? People either die or they don't die. You either are better off economically than you were four years ago or you're worse off, right? But that kind of leaves aside the power of framing and social construction. And here's a really good example of that. Trump has said recently that we're at 100,000 casualties for COVID-19 in the United States and that this is, in fact, a big win because initial estimates for the epidemic, if nothing was done, were somewhere in the neighborhood of two to three million casualties. And when you think about those two numbers next to each other, like, hey, that does sound like a big win, right? Sure. Is it? Is it? I don't know. I mean, like, also objectively, there are many things that the administration could have done better and faster and more competently. And perhaps that 100,000 number would be more like 30,000. That would be even better, right? (laughs) But that's some parallel universe, where Trump wasn't president. So it's like, you know, he has, but at the same time, an argument and no argument. Right. But as long as you keep like setting, as long as you're willing to change the parameters around which, you know, a piece, a datum, right? Like a single data point is based. So you say a hundred thousand deaths, American deaths in three months, is that good or bad? The answer is almost always going to be yes. But then you say, but what if? It was going to be 2.2 million. You're like, oh, well, okay, well, that's very Yeah, 100,000 sounds a lot better than that. And right. it is a lot better than that, right? Right. No, that, that's, that's exactly right. The other part of what we're talking about, you know, when, I, when we say, like, back during the Cold War, you needed journalists to, to put stories out there. The other part is that it's not just that there's more radio and there's more TV and there's internet and social media. It's the siloing of information, right? Mm. So as is frequently the cry amongst never-Trumper Republicans slash former Republicans, they will say in, in conversations, they will say, look, you can make all the arguments you want about Trump, but the, a lot of the folks who vote for him are never going to hear them. And so when yeah. it finally comes to a point where they might bump up against it, they're going to disregard it. And you want to say, oh, my God, like throw your hands and be like, oh, those poor fools. How could they not understand it? But if you live hearing the same stories all the time and then someone tells you that's something that's entirely different from that, of course, you're going to be skeptical of it. Of course yeah. you are. Like, that's how we process information. Yeah. Yeah. It's, you know, human beings have cognitive biases that we're subject to. And like disinformation, skilled wielders of disinformation have figured out ways to basically hack all of these biases and get us to believe or disbelieve things that serve their interests, whether it's politically or commercially, 
or just to, you know, follow them, right? <laughs> in, in some kind of crazy new religion, which is something that's also happening. And we'll get into that. But first, let's talk a little bit about COVID-19, because this has really been a ground zero for a lot of this stuff. And you and I and producer Pete, we've encountered disinformation and misinformation on COVID-19, even in the last three months um, that we've been talking about this, or I guess we've been talking about it for more like five months now. But we were ahead we, of the game. We were ahead of the we game. We were ahead of the game. <laughs> I know. We're, 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 we're trying to be those truth tellers and context providers that you alluded to uh, a little while ago. But the fact of the matter is COVID-19 is a novel coronavirus. It's new, right? And scientists are working really fast and doing a great job to learn more about the virus and better understand what's dangerous about it and what is less dangerous. And I think we've come a long way in a short time, even though it doesn't feel that way in terms of understanding. But if you, if the scientists, you know, don't go into this with the knowledge, they're going to say, we don't know. We're doing the work, but we don't know. And that leaves a vacuum to fill, right? And they're going to fill it internationally and they're going to fill it domestically too. So let's talk about that. One of the arenas that has been filled with BS during COVID-19 has been the geopolitical arena and info space, right? Particularly the United States versus China on right. the origins of the coronavirus. Right. And we've talked about this, including last week. Yeah, but we're not going to stop because it's going to continue to be part of the conversation. Absolutely. Because why is it so important? So this is immediately, before we fully transition into a discussion about the 2020 election, uh, the presidential election here in the U.S., there is one thing that is clear, and it's going to become repetitive to the point where we all get driven crazy, but it will be persuasive. And that is the following. (laughs) Right now, the Republican strategy for how to handle Joe Biden is to, one, call him loopy and in mental decline and all sorts of stuff, but two, to make his running mate China. Like Steve Bannon has said this, they're going to, like today, the president, before he got busted up by Jack Dorsey, went ahead (laughs) and said that like Biden has been soft on China for his whole career. Like this is part of it. Like it's to make is it's to make this part of a political campaign. And it gets worse than that because several several members of the American Republican Party have, including the Secretary of State, members of the Senate, have stopped like gone right up to the line of saying that the entire coronavirus is one hundred percent a biological weapon that came right. out of a biological weapons laboratory in the uh, inner near Wuhan, China. I think they've gone over the line. <laughs> I mean, they, they, okay. So like, I think so, Pompeo has gone over the line. So Tom Cotton, the secretary, the Senator from Arkansas has said all evidence indicates that it must've come from there. And then right. when you ask for the evidence, it's like, not so much, but then you're like, well, Hey, he's a Senator. He should be privy to better intelligence information than us with Google news searches. Right. Right. And the Secretary of State, same thing. He should be privy to far better information. Mike but, Pompeo, yeah. Right. Here's the thing about that, and this is, this is what makes good disinformation so powerful. There's a kernel of truth. That's right. And there's a kernel of plausibility. Yeah. There is the Wuhan Institute of Virology, I think it's called. That is a level four biohazard institute in the city of Wuhan with people wearing Andromeda strain suits that are like, 
hooked into hoses attached to the ceiling, all of that stuff, pressurized suits, right? Biohazard containment. They're studying bat coronaviruses. And the United States had a team in Wuhan, <laughs> starting in the Obama administration and up until about a year ago, the Trump administration pulled them out. They, the Chinese and the Americans were working jointly to try to understand the origins of SARS-like coronaviruses, which COVID-19 is one of. And so you look at all of that and you say, well, could this have been a, a lab accident? Absolutely. Yes, it could have. It wasn't, but it could have, right? The Chinese have not always been the best when it comes to lab safety. We know that to be true too, right? Or transparency about viruses. Yeah. Exactly. And, and yeah, they're very much on the record having uh, lied, dissembled, and suppressed many important things about the virus already. So you factor all that stuff, you throw all that into the pot and stir it around, reasonable doubts emerge, right? Scientists look at the genome and they say, well, tracing this back, it's pretty clear that it came from a bat somewhere in the wild through a different animal that was probably in the wet market, right? Yeah, they, but Steve, maybe the bat was in the lab like Spider-Man. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> it's possible. I didn't, I didn't hear anybody say anything about that not being a thing. Yeah, that's not how Batman was created, though. Spider-Man. He got bit oh. by a radioactive spider. Shout out to Pasha Madavi. Yeah. All right, yeah. <laughs> that's right. Our, our, our buddy Pasha, the, the oil guy. Excuse me, energy guy. Energy guy. The oil is bad guy. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but the, the point is, it's like Pompeo and Cotton uh, are not dumb guys, even though they occasionally say and do dumb things, right? And they're saying this for a reason. And uh, they're saying it because it has, a, it, is, it is plausible. It's, it's not complete nonsense, like some of the stuff we've heard, you know? There's, there's, there's an air of plausibility to it. And they're highly motivated to make people believe this in an election year, right? Yeah, Absolutely. And on the other side, it's not like, okay, we're the Republicans are the only people in the world that are doing these terrible things. Oh, the, yeah. chi the Chinese government has in, in a equally spectacular, no, I'd say more spectacular uh, dem <laughs> demonstration of logic acrobatics have accused the U.S. of creating and spreading this virus, which is totally. to say like, wait, so hold up. What? So... The U.S. created this thing, got it going in Wuhan, like managed to get under your radar. So already you're on the hook for not knowing this thing was happening, letting it spread to millions and millions of Chinese before you actually acted on it. And then as part of this American grand strategy vis-a-vis -vis the coronavirus, they then let it come into the U.S., and lock down for two, three months, kill more than 100,000 Americans, and shave a couple trillion dollars off of GDP this year? Yeah. Boy, that's a plan. Yeah, great plan. Uh, but yeah, they have kind of like mid-level guys, mid-level diplomats out saying this stuff on Twitter. Uh, Twitter is not in China. Hold on, There's Steve. A hold on. If that's the mid-level, do you want to see what the low-level diplomats are like? <laughs> <laughs> not, not particularly. <laughs> Yeah, there's one guy in particular who has basically spun out this whole conspiracy theory about how this was a covert op. The U.S. military detonated a bioweapon in the middle of Wuhan to hold back the Chinese. And he's, he's on Twitter saying this stuff. There is no Twitter in China. They have their own Twitter that is patrolled by a million censors, right? So this is very much like a one-way valve. It can, this stuff can go out, but it can't go back into China. 
Same goes for Russia. So uh, they have protection against this, and that is what makes it, quote-unquote, asymmetric warfare. We're vulnerable to it, and they're not. Not very easily, anyway. In addition, Chinese and Russian Russians have been sowing general discord across the West since this started. I don't know if you got one of these texts in March of 2020, but I got this text saying that the National Guard was going to lock down the country in four or five days. They had a friend in the National Guard that had gotten deployment orders. The defense establishment has figured out that this was Chinese military intelligence. In addition, the Russians and the Chinese have spent a lot of time dissing the performance of the European Union and uh, the performance of the USA during the pandemic. We've made it really easy for them because it's been very bad. Of course, the Russian performance has been in some ways, just as bad or worse. But China has a leg to stand on, supposedly. And the EU didn't do a good job um, during the early part of this pandemic. Arguably, it's still not doing a good job. It's been every country for itself in the EU. It's been every state for itself in the United States, right? So to a certain extent, we're kind of doing their job for them. And they're just pointing out the obvious. Right. They're also... They're also saying, like, they're, this is why they're not good right now, because that's also the truth. <laughs> and, <laughs> and so, just like, pointing out the truth. It's right, like, you guys like, are disunited, poorly yeah. coordinated, and morons. Yeah. It's like, and, and to which yeah. our, our, like, respectable media is like, accurate. Right. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, <laughs> Unfortunately, con- yes. <laughs> confirmed repeatedly every single day. I just want to say yeah. two quick things. Like, one on, on China and Twitter. Five years ago, there aren't that many Chinese political dis-political actors on Twitter spreading the kind of stories that you're talking about. Now there's several hundred official government, Chinese government uh, officials on Twitter. And second, uh, you have done a thorough and convincing job of making me believe that the job I would want least in the world is Chinese internet uh, censor. They have a a million people, an army of a million people whose job it is to do nothing. But look at social media. <laughs> what a depressing just, squad to I be know. on. Like, <laughs> like me and my million bros are here to like make you only s- make sure you're only saying things that are okay. Oh my god, that would crush my soul. Yeah, I mean they're they're sitting in a building probably very similar to my Zoom background here, except there's probably a thousand of them all over China in you know cubicles. They all have laptops and they're just refreshing. <laughs> <laughs> every minute and just taking down posts and they have a million people and it's a brute force solution but it works right I, I will say something nice about chinese internet real quick so when when the lockdown started over there there was a a homework app that was being used by schools to give kids their homework so they wouldn't fall behind during right. their lockdown and a coordinated effort by chinese school children was to go on to their app store and, oh, yeah. and rate this thing <laughs> one star. They submarined it. <laughs> they submarined this app, so it got pulled, and they couldn't do homework. Oh, that's so good. Just goes to show that kids are smart, and they're very good at taking the path of least resistance, which is also the most effective and efficient thing to do, oh, yeah. which is often cheating. Not that I ever did, obviously, but also, Nikki, if you listen to this at some point in the future... Don't cheat. Do all your work. But I mean, that's really clever. 
And if he were to pull something like that, man, I'd be kind of proud of him. (laughs) I'm not going to (laughs) lie. Yeah. Look like every now and then I think that I am pretty good when it comes to like dealing with students, but like every now and then they'll pull some stuff. So like one time I had this student who was clearly failing, like bombed the midterm and like had a a big final paper. It was only two grades in this class. And so she came to me and was like, Hey, I know it's a 15 page paper, but what if I write like a 30 page paper? Could you count it twice and cancel out the midterm? And I was like, nah, that's not how that works. Like, <laughs> she's like, but I've already put a lot into it. And she put down this like small town phone book, this absolutely massive paper on my desk and was like, can you count this? I put a lot into it. I was like, no, you bombed the midterm. There's no bailouts just because you decided to start trying later in the quarter. And I am going to look at this paper and at the end of the 15th page, I'm going to stop reading. Don't monkey with the margins. Don't monkey with the spacing. Don't monkey with the fonts. Don't do any of that stuff. Or I won't read it at all and I'll just fail you. So this young lady turned in her paper at the, at the right time and I get to her paper and it's the same thick ass paper that she had handed me in office hours. I was like, oh my God, I'm going to have to fail her and then have another conversation. And I start leafing through her paper and sure enough, it's 15 pages. And I'm like, well, then why is it so thick? She took out huge chunks of her paper and made appendices, she, <laughs> <laughs> which I hadn't ruled out. Uh, I was like, good. you clever little, I had to give her a good grade because she wrote a really good paper. Good for you. I mean, good for her and good for you for doing the legwork that even necessitated this story. I mean, I would have uh. just folded immediately because it's the easiest thing to do and I don't care about teaching. But you're a great teacher, so you did the right thing. Kudos. I held the line, and she found a weak line. spot in that line that I hadn't considered. I would have retreated instantaneously. Good for you. Anyway, yeah, so we've talked about geopolitics. Let's talk about U.S. politics and the cesspool that it has become in the last, well, three years, but especially last three months. I wish I hadn't killed my beer. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> Well, you know, we've been at, we've been into Trump and the GOP somewhat. There's also any number of disinformation campaigns running by the president domestically, not just internationally, but domestically. I called the president the snake oil salesman in chief. Perhaps you could elucidate on that point a little bit. Right. So this is a. Uh... This is part of the weird but effective part of of Trump's approach to political communication. So he will say some, and I presume that, actually I know that many of his employees will back me up because of the many, many unnamed sources that have said stuff. The guy says wild, wild stuff that is largely unproven. So, for example... But it gets attention. But it gets attention. He floods the zone, right? He's He's always reported on. (laughs) Right. And since he's become... I forget who it was at the New York Times who said this, is like Twitter, and particularly Trump on Twitter, have become like a de facto assigning editor in newsrooms. So whatever, whatever he says on Twitter has to be dealt with because he's president, no matter how wrong or wild or crazy or clearly created just to distract as it is. So a big waste of time. Yeah, it is. But and like, that's effective though. It is <laughs> effective because he yeah. continues to like, look, if people, if there are people that look to him and say he's fighting and look, uh, trust in, in American media is under 35%. Like if he's out there, and he just looks like the guy that's always fighting the media, even if he's 
fighting it with like really weird off base nonsense, like he still appears to be fighting. So it's beneficial. And what about dangerous nonsense? The dangerous nonsense is truly wild. So for example, you know, very recently, like in the last two weeks, he said that he was on a, a, a malaria drug, hydro hydroxychloroquine, uh, And he's been talking about this for several, several weeks about how this might be a cure for uh, coronavirus and the disease that it causes. But the Mm -hmm. problem is that it's just not true. And when he started saying it, there was a study that was done in France that had suggested that there might be something there, which is to say it hadn't been proven. It had just begun to be investigated. It was a study by a doctor who looks like a beatnik on like 12 people (laughs) it was like the least rigorous study possible right yeah but but this is to say look hydroxychloroquine is used by some patients to suppress their immune systems because they have immuno they're immunocompromised right immunocompromised yeah Yeah. they they have overactive immune systems and this suppresses the immune system one of the ways in which COVID-19 kills is through a hyperactive immune response in the lungs, a cytokine storm. storm. So scientifically, like it's not crazy that hydroxychloroquine no. could do something to help. And scientists were looking at this. Trump took that and ran 100 yards with it and spiked the ball. First of all, that fool doesn't run. Second, no. <laughs> second, like this is like this is circling back to like the whole basis of the show of disinformation and misinformation. This started out as disinformation. This was a completely like it started out as like okay, this might be a thing. Then there were studies that were done on it, not great studies, certainly not like conclusive studies. Yeah. And then he turned into a misinformation amplifier and said that he's taking the thing. And then there was yeah. a really wild thing about a month ago where he had where he suggested that injecting bleach and disinfectant might help like oh yeah yeah that was a good one it's like yeah it'll help you you won't worry about COVID-19 anymore (laughs) so it is a treatment in the strictest possible sense of the word (laughs) that's right yeah like yeah yeah you know who doesn't have the rona dead people corpses right corpses absolutely yeah, yeah it's it's I can't argue with you there, Mr. President. But the other part of it is like on the other side, they were like, yeah, there's reports of from all over the country of like, yeah, all of a sudden medical facilities had a sudden uptick in bleach related medical visits. Like, that's not okay to do that thing. (laughs) That's the last thing we need right now, man. We don't need that. (sighs) No. Yeah. And then, look, there's also the top-down effort to encourage the, I'm calling them the armed open-uppers. What's that? These protesters, right? Oh, yeah. Uh, Who... We got to we got to open up the economy, the, the liberate folks. Yeah, 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 the liberators. Exactly. Yeah. And these yes. these guys show up. Well, some of them have showed up at state capitals in full mall ninja gear, just like tactical everything. Yeah. Assault rifles. Call of uh, Duty cosplayers. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Right. You know, intimidating lawmakers and stuff. And then there are a lot of other people protesting peacefully. Some are wearing masks. Some are not. Some are social distancing. Others are not. I respect everybody's prerogative and rights to protest peacefully. That is something we do here in the United States. It's important. But they're putting themselves and others at risk when they do that. We don't know how many of these folks might be silent spreaders. We have said that super spreader events can be very dangerous. You know, 
giant crowds of people yelling stuff in particular because the virus comes out of your mouth when you're yelling or singing uh, or chanting in front of a state capitol could be a problem. Trump has encouraged all of this. Uh, yeah, for political he, reasons, right? He absolutely has. But this is like the, he people talk about Trump as if he is entirely unique, but he in many ways is just part of a vast conspiracy culture that exists in this country that is made thicker and worse because of because of disinformation and yeah. misinformation. Right. Yeah, that's the top down. There's also the bottom up. And I just want to say, you know, as for the the protesters, it's like there's there is a core of reason and truth to what they're saying. And it's, you know, this idea that, look, like we're in an economic depression now. We've lost our livelihoods. Uh, That's also really bad. And it is right. And you can go back and forth on whether or not there's a trade off between health and the economy, what that trade-off is, and so on and so forth. It's, you know, I'm just saying that the position that there needs to be some consideration of the economy is not entirely unreasonable. Like, the way in which it's manifesting can be unreasonable. But, yeah, as far as the bottom-up stuff stuff goes, one aspect of this is the anti-vaxxer movement, which has become more prevalent and... Anti-vaxxers are, in fact, riding the COVID-19 crisis to greater prominence to the point that one third of Americans are now saying that they do not want a COVID-19 vaccine. The thing that we're all racing to make, (laughs) everybody on Earth, every scientist on Earth is racing to make as quickly as possible. They're like, nah, I'm good on that. Suspicious of vaccines. I think they cause autism or whatever, even though that's been debunked a thousand times. And it's just like... Look, I don't know what to tell you other than the fact that uh, you're making things more dangerous for everybody. It's an antisocial act. Yeah, and it's particularly troubling for us in L.A. because even though, you know, West L.A., Santa Monica tends to be rather affluent, there has been a disproportionate number of wealthy folks that have bought into the anti-vaxxer thing. And we had a measles out. Was that last year, Steve? Something like that. Yeah, Jim Carrey. (laughs) Shouting out Jim Carrey here. And he's a, look, this is, this is something that unfortunately spans the political spectrum. Kerry is, is very left-wing anti-Trump guy. There's right-wing anti-vaxxers too. And it's a conspiracy theory. You know, we have more far out stuff, theories along the lines of COVID-19 was created by basically the Illuminati to take over the world. You may have seen or heard of a video called Plandemic that, is really just complete BS, kind of like ancient aliens type stuff, almost. I don't know if yeah. you ever saw that show on the History Channel. No, but... Yeah. It's I'm, this guy with gigantic hair ranting about how aliens, like, seeded the Earth with human life 8,000 years ago. And his catchphrase is always, I'm not saying it was aliens, but it was probably aliens, you know? <laughs> it's one of those types of things. Okay. Um, <laughs> And this stuff even extends to a guy we talked about a little bit last week, Bill Gates, being the mastermind um, behind the pandemic and the response. And this is how he's going to take over the world, um, implanting microchips in people and making trillions of dollars or something. I don't know. It's incoherent. And a theory that 5G networks, cellular networks, transmit the virus somehow, which 
makes no sense whatsoever. But in Europe, apparently has led to people torching cell towers. (laughs) (laughs) So these beliefs uh, are irrational, but they do real damage. Like, you know, they kill people and destroy property. (laughs) Yeah, it's I mean, it's it's wild stuff. And I think it'll be, you know, the hope is that, okay, look. American politics, domestic politics has been unruly on and off since the before the nation's founding. It's oh, yeah. particu- particularly rough. As you said, we're in the home stretch of an election year. And yeah. so the question becomes like, has all of the really like the raucous and disorganized, often ugly way in which Americans deal with things in public, has there in fact been the paradoxical effect of educating the public enough to be skeptical about disinformation and misinformation? Like, to have inoculated ourselves, uh, yeah, might say, absolutely. with the vaccine. <laughs> <laughs> no, yes. Steve, are you trying to say there's no vaccine like the truth? Yeah, no, I like that. There's no disinfectant like sunlight either. There's evidence that new tactics are emerging on the side of the foreign operatives that are that are trying to interfere with the election. Instead of paying for stuff in rubles from Russia, they're now basically giving money to Americans to post on their behalf, which is a lot more difficult to deal with. Sure is, yeah. From an intelligence standpoint, figuring out what's going on there. And they're taking sort of homegrown nonsense, misinformation that American conspiracy theorists are coming up with and kind of amplifying it. So it's actually reversing the usual order of things, which is they come up with the nonsense and Americans amplify it. <laughs> yeah. It's like they're, they're kind of giving a, a boost um, to stuff that our own crazies are doing. In addition, there's a completely new technology called deep faking, which is simply using AI advanced machine learning techniques to manufacture video, photo, voice print, you name it, that is lifelike and realistic. So Joe Biden apparently having a seizure, for instance, right? On camera, something that didn't happen. It's a deep fake. But it got propagated and I believe retweeted by the president uh, a few weeks ago or maybe a few months ago. I forget which. Yeah, but this is like, this is, you know, when we talk about the stuff from the perspective of social media and tr- and legacy media, both being part of the same, the question really becomes like, what do, what do our media platforms, and I include social media platforms, what do they do about it? So we start off the show talking about Trump and Twitter and uh, Twitter saying, hey, he's, he's in fact not correct, or rather, here, learn the real, the real facts about voting by mail. Fine, but how much can this, this really go forward? Facebook has been much better about, say, censoring misinformation, disinformation about the right. coronavirus than they are about political speech. And again, this comes back to the question, you know, you talk about deep fakes, like, is it possible that we are that we are all massive media consumers and through no systematic way, but just through gross volume of consumption, becoming better at spotting disinformation, misinformation, and the deep fakes that you were talking about? Let's hope so. But I mean, that kind of begs another question, which is, if you think that the world is full of deep fakes, how do you tell what's real, (laughs) right? If you're just automatically suspicious about everything, doesn't that cause an entirely different sort of problem, which is that you no longer trust any source of information 
and basically all kinds of all forms of cooperation break down and render your democracy completely jammed up and worthless. No. <laughs> okay, I'm I'm glad you answered that question. <laughs> I feel way better now. <laughs> no, I don't know. That was it was a lot of like uh, it was a lot of really heavy like. It's like in The Matrix, Keanu Reeves is like, he gets the red pill or the blue pill. You hit me with like 15 There's pills. also a green pill. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I was like, damn, I don't know. Yeah, no, rather not think about that. That's a, that's, a de- that's a depressing final thought to go, go out on. Can you give us a final thought on disinformation, COVID and 2020 and all the rest of it? Yeah, I would say this as somebody who's done a little bit of academic research on propaganda and disinformation, misinformation, all that stuff. I, as long as this stuff has been around in various forms for millennia, and even though there are new mediums, and as the media changes, so do our reactions to it. There is still an overwhelming concern about getting good and trustworthy information. And I think yeah. that that desire to have good and trustworthy information is, in fact, where the hope lies. Like, that's the soil in which the seeds of hope will grow. And so I am hopeful that even if it's not, it, this struggle goes on for longer than I would like it to that it will, in fact, end with better information and uh, better platforms that, uh, that are better at censoring this sort of stuff. I like that. That's, that's, a, that's a nice message of hope. I will amplify the message of hope and <laughs> say this. There's been some academic research done on conspiracy thinking and propaganda and susceptibility to propaganda, right? And Level of education has something to do with it, but educated people can fall prey to confirmation bias very easily. I like to think I know what I'm talking about, and that, you know, basically causes me to walk into trapdoors occasionally. It's not about education. It's about the type of personality you have and the level of trust, right? So basically psychological research that's been done and experimentation uh, with surveys and stuff like this suggests that a certain segment of the population, not a very large segment of the population, is just prone to conspiratorial thinking, right? And there's no evidence that 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 segment of the population has grown over time. It just seems to be uh, sort of like, like an individual trait, kind of along the lines of a personality trait. And so depending on where these people are located politically, they can be manipulated into causing problems or kind of just sit things out on the sidelines doing their own thing, right? And it just depends who is better at uh, controlling them, I would Hmm. say. And so there's no reason to think that the right wing in this country will always dominate (laughs) conspiracy thinking. It's frequently been more of an even split and therefore kind of politically neutral. And I think that you know, odds are we're going to go back to something closer to that over time. Even though, like, the capabilities to manufacture reality are becoming more and more powerful, the same capabilities to disentangle that with other algorithms are kind of following along in their wake. There are countermeasures, too. That's what I'm trying to say. So I think there are actually lots of reasons to be hopeful. It remains to be seen what's going to happen in 2020 and with COVID-19, but... You know, I think there are at least some positive trends in all of these areas. And with that, I think that we've put a bow on disinformation for this week. 
We did it. We did it. All right. Awesome. Thanks, Sooms. Yeah. We'll talk next week. Talk next week.